Christ. All right. And so Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, I'll read and then we'll pray and jump in. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And this is the word of the Lord. Friends, please pray with me this morning. Dear Lord, I am grateful for the opportunity to be before your people today to be able to share your word, the word that you have graciously given us. And Father, I pray that you would have mercy, that you would be gracious to bless us, that your word would come forth with a great deal of clarity. Lord, that it would come forth with conviction. And above all, Holy Spirit, you would cause your word to accomplish in every heart and mind present every heart and mind listening at home, exactly what you've sent it forth to accomplish. Lord, even as this is Epiphany Sunday, I pray that indeed you would cause there to be be an epiphany in our hearts, to recognize and be convinced that you are indeed our Messiah. You are indeed, O Lord, Son of God, and you are indeed our surest hope. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because not only are you able, but you are also faithful to fulfill the promises that you've grant us in your word. And you have promised that your word would not return void, Father. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And so the passage this morning begins with the evangelist or the gospel writer Matthew telling us that Jesus came from Galilee, Nazareth in Galilee, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And a couple, just a few notes of background on who John the Baptist was. John the Baptist is a prophet, but he also happens to be Jesus's cousin. And so if you know from the Christmas story that we just kind of went through through the Advent season, a pregnant Mary, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who also happens to be pregnant. And and the interesting thing about her pregnancy is that she was pretty old by the time she had gotten pregnant. And when the pregnant Mary approaches the pregnant Elizabeth, the baby that's in her womb, we read, leaps. He leaps at the presence of Mary and her baby, and it says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and as she is filled with the Holy Spirit, she begins to worship and praise the Lord at the fulfillment of his promise. Well, John is that baby in Elizabeth's womb who leaps at the presence of the Messiah in Mary's womb. So before John was conceived, it's prophesied by the angel Gabriel that John would be a prophet, 
and that his purpose, his mission in life would be to prepare the people of God for the arrival of the Messiah in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what John did. John spent his entire life preaching repentance for the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptizing people in the waters of repentance in preparation for Jesus's arrival. So Jesus embarks on this journey to engage with this John the Baptist. Now, here's the interesting thing about the journey that Jesus goes on. The distance between Galilee and the River Jordan where John is baptizing is no short distance. It's actually some 70 miles. Now, for those of us here who have vehicles that have multiple horsepower, that doesn't seem like much of a trek, but that's a big trek when your best mode of transportation is a donkey and a camel, right, and two feet with a little piece of leather between you and the ground. But Jesus embarks on this fairly treacherous journey. Why? Well, it's because he has a divine appointment with John the Baptist. He goes on this journey because it is time for his baptism. Now, Matthew tells us uh, through the dialogue or even the debate that happens between John the Baptist and Jesus that the reason Jesus had to be baptized, and we'll talk about this a little more through the sermon, but initially the reason that Jesus had to be baptized was in order to fulfill all righteousness. And the word that's translated righteousness in our English Bibles is the Greek word dikaiosune. Everybody say dikaiosune. All right. All Greek scholars this morning. And, and while this word is more commonly translated righteousness, I heard one commentator who translated it as that which is required. And I thought that was really interesting and fitting for this particular passage because Jesus being perfect always fulfilled that which was required of him. And so I thought it pretty interesting that here Jesus is telling John, we need to do this. Why? Because it is required of us. Here's the interesting thing, brothers and sisters, about this. Righteousness is that which is required of all of us. I'm going to say it again because I think there's coffee available downstairs. <laughs> the coffee is extra strong. I drank it and I'm feeling energized. Please help yourself this morning. But I'll say it again. Dekayasune, that which is required of all of us is what? Righteousness. And I just thought it interesting that this commentator would put it this way. But here's the question. If Jesus was perfect in Dekayasune or perfect in fulfilling that which was required of him, if he always did that which God the Father required of him, then why in the world did he have any need of the baptism of repentance? Why would he need to undergo the waters of repentance if he was perfect in this Dekayasune? Well, I think the answer is found in this story of 
the epiphany. And in summation, I think the answer is because through Jesus' baptism, we receive the revelation of the hope that is ours in him. Through his baptism, we see that it's through his life and work that we have a sure hope. And so I want us to take a look at some aspects of this story that I think the Lord would want to share with us, some things that I think he wants to teach us through, three things from this story. And the first thing I want us to take a look at is this, the example of John the Baptist. (coughs) Excuse me. Not, not having free hands makes it difficult to drink water and still look cool, so give me a second. <laughs> if I spill the water, don't worry. It's just an illustration of the waters. But I can't, I can't put the cap back on it because then I won't be able to reach it with my one free hand. But the first thing I want us to look at is the example of John the Baptist. And remember what I said earlier about John the Baptist. His mission was clear even before he was conceived. And John the Baptist's mission is so clear that we might even be envious of it because for most of us, the very specific ways that God calls us to live out our calling vocationally and otherwise is seldom this clear. But for John the Baptist, it was absolutely clear. However, for John, okay, in this particular story, we read the one thing in all of John's life in the proclamation of the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, we read of the one thing that he was not readily willing to do. And what was that thing? What was that thing? Baptize Jesus. For the first time, we see John not readily willing to do something that he had been called on God to do. You see, John knows full well, probably better than anyone else alive at the time, who Jesus is. So when Jesus comes asking John to baptize him, John is, essentially says no. And he says emphatically no. And he says no because he understands that in Jesus is his hope. And so if Jesus is coming to him looking for repentance, then what in the world is John going to do? If Jesus needs the baptism of repentance that John is doing for other people to, uh, for the arrival of Jesus, and Jesus needs this repentance, where's the hope for any of us? And so Jesus, John says to Jesus, listen, I have need to be baptized of you. Yet you come to me. But Jesus looks at John, understanding what John is saying. And he says, I get what you're saying, John. I understand your hesitation. But he says, listen, we need to do this just now. Let's just do this now. Because in us doing this, we will do what is required of us. We will fulfill all righteousness. And so John consents, 
And praise the Lord that John does consent because it turns out that through this baptism, through this act of John's obedience, we receive the blessed epiphany. We get to see God in no uncertain terms, God the Father revealing the true identity of his Son. John's whole life, his entire life, was wrapped up in the revelation of the Messiah. And this one act of submission to something that made very little sense to him served to bring that revelation to pass. Friends, I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Our obedience, our obedience, I'll say it again, our obedience is the, is the vehicle for fulfilling our mission and the purposes of God. And furthermore, the Father's purposes are always for our good, His glory, and for reasons that are way bigger than just us. Always, always. The Bible is clear that the obedience of God's people blesses us and, more importantly, blesses others. And so here's the question for us. Where is God calling us to obey Him? Where is God calling us to obey Him, even if, like John, we can't make complete sense of it right now? Where is He asking you to move? I'm going to say it again. Don't let your mind run into all kinds of things that you're trying to figure out that you know you ain't going to figure out. What is that thing you know he's calling you to and you just have not lived into? That is likely where the Lord is seeking to bless others through you, even though you can't make full sense of it right now. So the first thing I want us to look at is the example of the obedience of John. The second thing is this. I want us to look at the significance of the dove, the form of the Holy Spirit being a dove. And I want us to look at this picture right here. So what what is this? A pigeon. More specifically, this is not any ordinary pigeon. This is a New York City pigeon. If you're from New York, you can recognize a New York City pigeon. He walks with a little extra swag. Right? He looks you right in the eye. You see, New York pigeons are not like other pigeons in the world. You see, New York pigeons don't move. A New York pigeon will sit, will be right in the middle of the street, pecking at some McDonald's, and a car can come full speed, and they'll just go right around the wheel like that. New York pigeons don't even move when you walk up on them. They stand their ground. Am I right? They stand their ground. They'll walk right around your feet. New York pigeons are special. That's why I made sure to Google New York City pigeon and not these, not these Atlanta pigeons. They're not real. But the reason um, I, ch- I wanted us to look at this pigeon is because in studying for this sermon, I learned something that I didn't know. In the Bible, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for dove is the same, and it's actually the word for pigeon, right? And when you talk about pigeons, especially New York pigeons, 
These are dirty, stinking, filthy animals. They're called sky rats. They're called rat birds. As a matter of fact, I remember seeing a New York pigeon fight a rat one time. They don't, they don't even care. Um, and this part is free. As I was just thinking through this, well, all of this part is free, but as I was thinking through this and thinking about the infinite wisdom of God, could it be that God knew that all these thousands of years later, what he used in the scripture to anoint Jesus, this pigeon, right, would be seen today as this stinking, filthy, disgusting creature. And could it be God saying that he uses what seems unclean and unfit for service to continue to proclaim the goodness of his hope to his people? Did you, did you want to clap? It's okay. It's okay. Man, I don't know what's happened if we've fallen. There was a moment where we were, we were getting kind of Pentecostal, but I think we've kind of fallen out. Brother Dave, you can clap here, friend. You can do it. He gave one clap and then stopped because all the rest of you guys made him feel weird. Go ahead and clap, brother. Friends, could it be that God in 2023 is using this same thing so that when we get the image of a pigeon today, God is showing us that he still uses what the world has, termed, has determined to be unfit for his service. Again, this part, this part is free. I just want you to know this morning, if in any way you feel like you may be unfit or unclean or the world has told you that you cannot be of use to God, understand this, that God has been using people just like you and me for thousands and thousands of years. And I'll put it to you even this way. Praise be unto God. I'll put it to you this way. The only reason that he uses unclean and unfit people like you and me is because that's all he has. So don't ever get fooled when you see God using somebody in mighty ways to think it's because they're that great. No, it's because God is that great and God is that good. And so the significance of the dove, again, that part was free, brothers and sisters. After Jesus is baptized, Matthew says that he comes up out of the water and the heavens are opened and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes and the Bible says it alights upon him. In other words, it comes upon him, it, it, it anoints him. And I believe, as I said again, that the appearance of the Spirit as a dove is intentional because of what the dove represents in the Bible. And even at this time, what it re represented in the Old Testament scriptures that they had. You see, in Genesis 8, when the floods of, of Noah's time, the destruction of the, earth, when, of the earth, when those floodwaters started to recede, what did Noah send out of the boat? A dove. Well, it doesn't sound weird to say he sent a pigeon. But he sends, he sends the dove, he sends the pigeon, and the pigeon goes out, it comes back, it goes out, it comes back, until one day it goes out, and it finds what? An olive leaf. And it, he, it, it plucks it with his beak and brings it back to Noah, and the Bible tells us that he comes back with this freshly plucked olive Leaf, And we know that the olive leaf and the olive tree, the olive branch branches are symbols of peace. 
so that in the story of the flood, hear this, brothers and sisters, the story of the destruction of all creation, the story of the condemnation of the world, the dove becomes the messenger of the good news that the destruction has ended and that peace has come. The dove becomes the messenger of new life. The dove signifies the end of judgment and the beginning of new life. Friends, hear this. The Holy Spirit anoints Jesus in the form of a dove because the mission of the dove is now the mission of the Messiah to inaugurate the end of enmity and the beginning of peace between God and man. In other words, brothers and sisters, the work that Jesus is anointed to do is the work of redemption and renewal in the life of the people of God. So, friends, I want to say this morning, if you're here in this new year and you find that you're in need of new life or you're in need of peace in your life, can I implore you to try Jesus? Everybody wants to try new things in this new world, right? Everybody wants to try, you know, it baffles me to see the things that people are willing to try on on social media. People are trying crystals, rubbing their feet with crystals. Why don't you rub your feet with some soap? Rubbing their feet with crystals, (laughs) rubbing their armpits with crystals, putting crystals in their face and mouth and all of that stuff. Only people won't try Jesus. Friend, let me say to you this morning, if you are indeed in need of a new life on this Sunday in this new year, can I implore you to try Jesus? Because Jesus is uniquely anointed as the Messiah to bring peace and newness to your life. Amen? Uniquely gifted to do this like nobody else and definitely not like no crystal. Amen? And so, and just know, if I see you, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I'm going to tell you right now, if I see you come with those crystals around your neck, I'm going to ask you what they're about. All right? It may just be a fashion statement for you. That's fine. But I'm going to make sure that's all it is. Amen? All right. Last thing is this. Second thing is we see the significance of the dove. And the third thing is this, the sonship of Christ. I want to see the sonship of Christ in this story. So after the Spirit comes upon Jesus, the voice of God the Father is heard from heaven, declaring that Jesus is indeed his Son, who he loves, and in whom he finds great pleasure. And what's significant about this declaration from the voice of God the Father is this, and this is something that's lost on us. The time between Adam right? In Genesis chapter 3, when we get the first prophecy of the child of Eve crushing the head of the snake, even though the snake bruises his heel, and the time between that and Jesus come is somewhere between 4,000 to 6,000 years. Another thing to keep in mind is that between the Old Testament and the Gospel of Matthew, right, when Jesus arrives, it has been 400 years, and within these 400 years, there has been zero prophecy, There has been zero supernatural interaction with the Lord God, Yahweh. During this time, there is a complete just 
just absconding, just forgetting of the fact that God has any dealing with man, much less that he would be bringing a Messiah. And so when Jesus comes, you have to understand that not only do they not really have an active frame of reference for who the Messiah will be, they have definitely no kind of frame of reference for the Messiah who arrives. Okay? So that when Jesus comes, they're not ready for it. They expected a royal, pompous military leader who would at best come and overthrow Roman rule and set up a Jewish kingdom. So this Jesus who comes, who is determined not to overthrow Roman rule, but to overthrow the rule of sin in their lives, they have no idea how how to receive him. There's no frame of reference for him. But you see, God in his goodness doesn't send a military leader. He doesn't send someone who is clothed in royal and pomp, royalness and pomp and circumstance. Instead, the Lord God sends of himself. The Lord God Yahweh sends his son whom he loves and in whom he takes great delight. And here is the blessed part of the whole thing, brothers and sisters. Because God sends his son to be the propitiation or sacrifice for our sin and our redemption, we who put our faith in this son also become the beloved sons and daughters of God the Father. And we are joined to Jesus the Son through our own faith and through the waters of our own baptism as co-heirs, the goodness of our God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. He says, for all of you, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Friends, we are clothed in the sonship or daughtership earned for us through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, and our Savior. And this is why it's so important, brothers and sisters, that we understand that baptism is much more than a symbol. Baptism is much more than a symbol. Can someone go to heaven? Can someone be with God the Father and not be baptized? Maybe. I will say yes. They can. Yes. But let me put it to you this way. If Jesus found it necessary to be baptized... And if Paul says that through baptism we are clothed with Christ, then why take a chance on missing out on this blessed sacrament? Say it again. Why take a chance on missing out on this blessed sacrament? There is something spiritually real that we are missing out on. Let me say this to you, brothers and sisters. The baptism of Jesus is our hope revealed. But the baptism of a believer or that believer's child is that hope applied. The baptism of our Lord Jesus is our hope revealed. But the baptism of faith is that hope applied. Amen.
So I close by asking this. In this new year, friend, brother, or sister, are you looking for a new thing? Are you looking for a new thing? Are you looking for a sure hope? Are you looking for a new life? The epiphany of our Lord Jesus Christ on this Epiphany Sunday is a revelation that newness, redemption, and a sure hope is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. If only we would trust in him. And I wanted to throw this out to us this morning. If you're here and this Epiphany Sunday, you can say, hey, I have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have put my faith in him. I have known him to be my sure hope. But if I am honest, other things have come and sat on the throne of my heart. And today, I'd really like, I'd really like to experience the newness that he brings. I need some renewal. I need some redemption. Can I say to you this morning that every time we come before the Lord Jesus Christ is an opportunity for us to experience the renewal, the redemption that is ours through him. And so this morning, if that's you, I invite you, I invite you to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and receive of that. That's what we're doing every Sunday in communion. That's why we take it every Sunday to be reminded that redemption and renewal is ours. To be reminded every Sunday that our hope is in nothing else but that broken body and that blood shed for us. Let's pray together, friends. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your mercy and your goodness towards us on this Epiphany Sunday. And as I prayed earlier, Lord, I pray again that you would indeed make the epiphany real in our hearts. May we leave here convinced that our surest hope, our redemption, our renewal is found no place else and no one else but you. But also, Lord God, may we leave here being assured that indeed you are that Messiah, that Son of God, we give you the glory and the honor this day, Father. We thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for doing as we've, asked, as we've asked according to your will. And I thank you for all that you're doing in the hearts and the minds of my friends and even my own this morning. We give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.